that said some good things and had some followers, right? And so they say this about Jesus, but that there was no way that he, that yes, he died, because, you know, every human being dies, whether you know that or not. But, but the resurrection from the dead, now that, that's, that's crazy. And there's no way that that's accurate and no way that that's true and no way that that's real. But I want to sit here this morning and, and just so you know who, who we are before we launch, if that's crazy, then you can call us crazy. And I'm not saying that to be tongue-in-cheek, to be whatever. I, I, I literally want you to know this morning as we're in worship, and, which is that part we named the singing part, that when we're in that moment, that, that I'm not sitting there with my mind racing about, about Easter lunch today. I'm not, my mind's not even racing, believe it or not, about going, possibly going fishing sometime this week, right? I'm not thinking about that. Honestly, I woke up this morning at 6 o'clock went down to just to, to prepare for this morning and found myself in prayer, this conversation with, a li- with who I believe is a living God. I found myself in this conversation and I found myself overcome by his presence. And I know that sounds crazy, but I literally went into this time and this conversation with no physical being in my room that I could see with this very clear understanding that when I was talking, I was not talking to the air to make myself feel better because I was just getting my stuff out. No, I was having a conversation with a living God who is nearer to me than my own wife was just hours before I'd been sleeping next to in bed. And I know that sounds crazy, but I am crazy if, if you think it is. Because I believe that Jesus really lived. I believe Jesus really died. And I do believe that Sunday came after that Good Friday and He was literally, by the power of a living God, raised from the dead. I believe that He literally all of a sudden came to and I believe He was smiling. I believe that the, that the Father Himself was speaking into His Son saying we did it. And the angels were there. And I don't think they... They maybe were bowing for a moment, but that is too great of a high five moment. You know what I'm saying? But that is too great of a high five moment to just stay on the knees for the entire time. Because God, Jesus, being the God that I believe that He is, allows reverence because He's holy in the moment, but then He always lifts people up. Doesn't he? Mary. And she embraces him. The angels sitting on the stone, according to, to the gospel, sitting on the stone saying, who are you looking for? Right? Like, I think this is a joke for them. It's one of these moments. Who are you looking for? Huh? Who are you looking for? Huh? Do you want to say it? Jesus. Oh, he's not here. Boom. I mean, I, I thought they went, he is raised from the dead. No, man, there was excitement. This is what everything they had been longing and looking for to happen in the moment. Sunday had come. And so when we, this morning, listen, I want you to do me a favor. But take a deep breath, literally. And I want you to release everything you have to do after today. It will be taken care of. Your food will be fine. The times with your mother are going to be difficult. And with your aunt and uncle, probably right. So I'll be okay. 
At the end, everything's going to be the way it's going to be. But when we're here together, we're here as family. We're here with family that you will live with for eternity. That you will walk, listen, look around, look, look around, take the moment, it's going to be awkward, but make eye contact with someone you don't know, have the awkward moment, look around, seriously. Because sometime at the end of life, you're going to possibly, probably, if you know Jesus, walk up to Jesus, who will meet you halfway, because that's who he is, with that person you had the awkward moment with, and you're going to look at one another and say, there he is. There he is. And you're going to find yourself weeping and laughing and jumping up and down and falling on the ground somehow all at the same time. And so when we come this morning, we come to worship. You see, my mom went ahead of me. She'll be with me going and saying, I want to introduce you to Jesus. She's already celebrated. And so when we come this morning, no matter what your history is and what your thoughts are and what your beliefs are, I want you to know where we stand this morning. We believe he rose from the dead. We believe he lived. We believe that he died. Just as he said he would. We believe that he rose again. Just like he said he would. And we believe that we're here today in a relationship with him. So that when I'm downstairs at 6 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday morning in prayer, I'm not praying to the sky or to the chair or to the wall. I'm praying to a living God who loves me and has called me son and called me friend. And so as we talk this morning, I want you to simply breathe that in. But I want you to know why we're here. Listen, I don't, I don't necessarily like putting on a big show on a Sunday morning. It's not my style. I'm not the guy who sits there and thinks about all the intricate details and making sure everything is right. I'm, I'm one of those guys who just wants to come hang out. I have the spiritual gift of hanging out. Let's just hang out. Let's be, let's be friends. Here it is more to hang out with a living God. Resurrection Sunday is here. I love this video. It talked about you're here for a purpose. You're here for a reason, right? That you didn't just come because, because it's Sunday and it's Easter. You're supposed to be here. You're not just here because well, your mom or dad's making you or your kids are making you, whatever it may be, right? You're here because God loves you. And he wanted you here. And he wanted you to hear a message about his son's life. So we're going to do that, okay? We're here for celebrate resurrection. Resurrection literally means to, to stand again or to cause to stand again. It has, has in mind this idea, at least biblically speaking, of taking something that was dead or nearly dead right in, in our life and bringing it back to life. And, and we're, not, we're not immune to almost like weekly resurrection stories. In fact, we love these stories of, of athletes. Man, they were basically nearly gone. They got on steroids and came back. No, right, something happens along in their life. They were nearly gone. There was this, this moment. They, were, they thought their, their career was over, and they resurrected their career. 
We see it in businessmen and women all the time, right? They were nearly gone. They almost lost their business. But God, something happened. Their business was resurrected. They started making money again. We see all of these stories, right? Hear all of these stories of marriages that were nearly lost. I mean, some of us in this room have resurrection stories about our own marriages or about some sort of relationship that was almost gone in your life. And all of a sudden, something happened. That person apologized. You owned it. You apologized. You wept. You had a resurrection moment. We love the stories of, of resurrections. Now, in our culture, specifically in our, and I'm just going to go here in pop culture, in our pop culture, one of the most profound and powerful and realistic resurrection stories ever is Rocky Balboa. Don't we love Rocky. By the, by the movie of his own name, basically Rocky VI. You remember, how many of you saw Rocky Balboa, Rocky VI, the last one that came out? Raise your hands, proud. Oh my gosh, what a bunch of un-Americans in here. My gosh. You have to see Rocky Balboa, a.k.a. Rocky VI. I mean, it brings the culmination to the end. I mean, he fought Drago, Rocky IV, Rocky IV, and then five happened, whatever. But six happened. You've got to go see that. When you get home, Netflix, I'm sure it's there. I mean, Rocky Balboa, let me give you the details. It's important stuff to be an American. Rocky Balboa, he's almost 60 years old. He's past his prime, right? He's past his prime. And all of a sudden, they had like ESPN. How many of you know ESPN is the culprit for a lot of stuff today, right? ESPN has this like back and forth like thing of like taking the, the champions throughout history and, and comparing who would win if they fought, right? And so you have it down, and you have Rocky on this side, and you have the champion today on this side, and you find them making all the way through, and they get to the very end, right? And they and they they say Rocky would win, and we're like, yes, he would. He's Rocky Balboa. Go, Adrian, right? Get the whole thing going on. And so they had this moment, and in the midst of all of this, you know, it's a movie, you know what happens? Rocky thinks he'd be a great idea to come out of retirement and fight the young champion, right? And it's this beautiful, this stupid moment, honestly. But it's a beautiful moment, right? If you, if you let yourself dive into the movie, it's a beautiful moment, right? And, 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 we, and what happens? Every single person finds themselves with what? Getting behind Rocky. I mean, the, listen, the champion, the, the actual champion of the day, he's actually a good guy. But you don't get behind him. You want Rocky to win, right? You find yourself on the edge of your chair. And he starts getting in the fight, and you're like standing up. Yeah! It's like, I'm sorry, my bad, right? You find yourself in the moment. Because everyone was an underdog story, yes. But let's be honest. Every single one of us loves a good resurrection story, don't we? We love the story of that guy who couldn't, that woman who couldn't. All of a sudden, they were basically gone. They were, oh, they were completely forgotten. All of a sudden, they came out of the middle of nowhere. I mean, how many of you have ever, like, teared up in, like, a Seabiscuit type movie, right? Where the underdogs down here, they're almost forgotten. They're all the way in the very back. And all of a sudden, you come out and you win. Oh, yeah, it's like a resurrection story. We love these stories of resurrection. A 60-year-old man having his way in the boxing ring. It's completely ludicrous, but you're behind it. We love these stories. We love resurrection. 
We love the story of something that was almost dead or almost dead, standing again, almost without life or with completely without life, and coming back. We love these stories because resurrection is a powerful image. Against sometimes someone against all odds, standing, standing again after everything in life has seemingly knocked them down again and again and again and again. We love resurrection stories. Why? Why is it inherent? And, and my children at the age of five watching these resurrection stories, and they're just like getting all teary-eyed and excited and literally cheering and clapping as they're watching television. All of your kids are the same thing. Why do we get this way with resur- re- resurrection stories? It's simple. Because inherent inside of each of us is an understanding of our own need for it. We find in each of our own lives this celebration and desire for resurrection. You may be thinking, I'm talking in general in life. You love these moments of resurrection. I'm going to pick on Tim Parker because I know he won't mind. I mean, he's a, listen, 2008 came and he was in construction. Can I get an amen? He made it. We tell a story of resurrection, of difficulty and hardship. We sat down as a this difficult moment, difficult season, but he made it through in complete obedience to God. Trying to do his best to follow him. We love the story. We love resurrection stories. We love it in our life. We love it in our, we love just these moments where almost all hope is lost, but there's resurrection. We love them. We long for them, right? And for us to understand the power of resurrection in any sense, it's important that we realize, listen, it's important to understand resurrection, we understand the hopelessness that defines lives before it happens. I mean, can you think of your own story, your own moments, or people that you know who've had a resurrection of sorts in this moment of hopelessness in Rocky? I mean, literally, you have that moment where he realizes he's no longer fast. And he's like, oh, I think I've made a mistake. People in their own lives who have that moment of like, there's no hope in this relationship. There's no hope of restoration. There's no hope whatsoever. And there's this hopelessness that defines the moment before the resurrection comes. And it's like that for every person. There's just this sense of hopelessness. Our imaginations are able to understand the sinister and the menacing idea of, a, of an, either an occupying power or an enemy or an oppressor or some or situation that's oppressing us. Can you feel that? This morning, can you instinctively understand the, this with your imagination, the hopelessness that must happen in the midst of death that happens before resurrection? Just instinctively, inherently, can you understand that? I think all of us can. If you've seen 20 movies in your life, you've probably seen five that have these stories in them. Hollywood loves them. Each of our own lives, we understand what it means to live under the the shadow of this foreign presence that should not be there of hopelessness, of fear, and of worry, or whatever it may be, right? This moment when nothing can be done about it. No one can defeat it. I read a story 
I read a story the last couple of weeks about a, a man who was uh, held prisoner in a prisoner of war camp in Japan during World War II. If you know anything about POW camps, like it's, it's not ice cream and bonbons, right? You don't have someone with a fan like this. What else can I get you, sir, ma'am, right? You don't have that going on. Prisoner of war camps define hell on earth for people who have been in them. I could say, I would, I've heard stories even recently in the last five years, I can't go into, but, but stories of people who literally were held in holes underneath a refrigerator for two or three years. People in captivity. People who, are, who, who, were, who were broken have a sense of hopelessness in the moment. There's no chance. There's no one. They're told again and again in PW camps, no one's coming for you. Well, actually, and they would be saying here, we're winning the battle. America's losing, right? America's losing. We're winning the battle. You're going to die here. You're going to live here forever. There's this complete sense of hopelessness, complete sense of defeat, overwhelming sense of, of death. And a reality of that. We live. We live. He's living in this place. There's no light, no comfort, no peace, no joy. Nothing that has its birthplace in life. But then the story he talks about, he says the story shifted. The story shifted as he told of the astonishing change in the camp atmosphere which came about when one of the prisoners just happened to overhear on a shortwave radio that the, 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 the Japanese in the, the, the mid part, probably the summer of 1945, were giving up. And he said, and that man kind of just all of a sudden hurried back, burst into the room and said, guys, guys, you're not going to believe what I just heard. The Japanese are giving up. The Japanese are giving up. Can you imagine? Can you just imagine with your imagination, maybe eyes closed, closed, can you just imagine the moment what happened for every single one of these men in 1945 who were in a prisoner of war camp, who were just experiencing death every day, all of a sudden being told the Japanese have been defeated, they are giving up, and every single one of them understood in the moment that their release was imminent. Whether it was hours, days, weeks, or months, it did not matter because resurrection was being proclaimed. Can you put yourself in their story? Resurrection is being proclaimed. He said this. I love this. I'm telling the story. He said this. When they all heard the news... All of the prisoners laughed and cried as if they were free already. Sunday has come. Resurrection has come. All of us understand the power of resurrection. All of us understand on some level, this level of hopelessness that defines life under the weight of oppression, fear. These are some of the things that present itself in our own lives. Fear and worry, anxiety, the sentence of death that we live under, right? From the story, although we can't fully understand their joy because we haven't walked in their shoes, right? We get it, don't we? 
we get it. We get this understanding. We, we, we recognize that what it, what it would feel like in this moment if, if all of a sudden light broke into darkness, hope broke into hopelessness, life breaking into death. All of a sudden, the, the death they were living under, the despair of death, the death of their hope, the death of their joy, the death of their freedom, the death of their life, all of a sudden got changed in the moment. And they were still under the weight of being in the prison war camp, but they were free in their own minds. They had been freed. Resurrection had happened. This morning, we celebrate a spiritual resurrection. We celebrate the work that God has done. We celebrate Jesus' resurrection, yes. Remember, He literally, when He faced the weight of despair and pain and suffering at the hands of an oppressor, He suffered at the hands of His own friends, of Judas, who literally betrayed Him. Of Peter, who denied Him. Jesus would not have been unaware of it. I believe in His knowledge in the moment. I mean, I love it in movies you see Jesus' eyes go out like this, and they kind of come in the movie. All of a sudden, and Peter looks at him, they had this moment, and he goes, oh, and he just weeps and running off. Whether that's true or not, it's great cinema. And it paints the picture. Because whether Jesus literally saw it, he knew it in his spirit. He knew it was happening. He'd already prophetically proclaimed it. This is going to happen. I'm telling you in advance. And it did. He literally was beaten. Someone said one time, you don't watch the Passion of the Christ more than once. Because it's so overwhelming, you get it. And that's true for many people. It's so overwhelming to watch. But it happened, he was brutalized. He experienced this moment. He experienced when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you've ever been church, you've heard pastors talk about this. And he basically is saying, for the very first time, rather than calling him Father, he calls him God. And for the very first time in his life, he does not feel connection. He feels distance. Because our sin was on Jesus. And a holy God cannot look at him, cannot look upon unholiness, cannot interact with it in an intimate way. This, my friends, is, is a prisoner of war camp times a million. He's experiencing in and of himself. I mean, this is a lot worse than Rocky Balboa fighting the champion. It is. It's this moment of Jesus having experienced this own, his own oppression, his own war camp of sorts. That's why they high-fived in the tomb. You give me liberty on that one, right? Don't go tell me I said that. This was at least a high-five moment because they did it. It worked. They knew it worked. He's God, but it still worked. High-five angels like, yes! Everything's changed. Everything has changed. We see in 2 Corinthians chapter 15, resurrection, the focal point. Listen, the cross is important. The resurrection's the focal point. It says here in 2 Corinthians 15, starting, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 12. 
But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? So press pause. All you're getting at is there was a group of people who were coming to the church at Corinth and saying, there's no such thing as a resurrection. This is born out of the Sadducees. You ever heard of those guys? The Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the scribes, the religious leaders of the Jewish people of that day, who did not, and the Sadducees of all of them, did not believe in an actual resurrection. They didn't believe anyone would be resurrected from the dead. And so they come, and he's saying, and so people are saying, there's no resurrection, verse 14. But if it is uh, preached, so verse, yeah, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised, then how can somebody say there's no resurrection from the dead? Verse 13, if, uh, excuse me, yeah, verse 13, if, anyone, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Basically, you can't be a follower of Christ if you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. It's the focal point. Why? Because a dead Jesus is no Messiah at all. A dead Jesus is not God. A dead Jesus is a failed life. There has to be a resurrection. And we believe, historically speaking, that Jesus stood again. And Jesus standing, us, standing again causes us to celebrate why? Because we love resurrection stories. We love the Rocky Balboas. We love the POW stories. We love these moments. There's something inside of us, inherent inside. Why do you love them so much? Why do you like them? Have you ever thought about it? Why do you so love resurrection stories? Why do you get behind them? Why are they some of your favorite? Why? Doesn't make any sense. There's lots of good stories out there. But why do you like those so much? I'm telling you, I believe because inherent in, inside of us is a longing and a need that we all recognize for a resurrection of our own spiritual life. Because we live, we've been talking about for the last several weeks in the Lent season, we're separated from God. That's why there's redemption. He buys us out of our slavery from sin. He reconciles us. He takes those who are separated and makes us one. He forgives us of our sins washing us clean of every sin you've ever committed. We believe, biblically speaking, that if you sin once, you die separated from God. If you've ever lied, ever cheated, there's a white lie, even. It makes us too unholy to live for eternity with Jesus. But he came and says, I will take the penalty of your sin. The judge says you're guilty, but I'll take your guilt and I will wash you clean from it. I will take your punishment and I will release you into relationship with my father. You see, Jesus looked at each of us and recognized that each of us would have our own moments of despair, our own, our own moment of realization of brokenness, of hopelessness, of despair, when we come face to face with our mortality, whether it's early in the morning or late at night. I mean, how many of you have ever laid in bed early in the morning getting up saying, why do I even live? Or at the end of night when you finally, your, your brain slows down from you running from it all day long to get to that place and you're like, is this really all that there is? You come face to face with your mortality. Scott, Scott Crawford and I, our associate pastor, so we went hunting back in December. And we had a moment. Scott was in a different boat. I was with his uncle, Uncle Sam. There you go. Uncle Sam. And we're in the boat. 
and we're trucking across a stump-filled lake. It's like going in a boat at 3.30 in the morning. It's 28 degrees outside. I'd forgotten my life jacket. We're going across. It's pitch black, 3.30 in the morning. We hit this telephone pole that had broken in half, was bent over like this, and Sam couldn't see it in the pitch black. He hit it, and we tipped over. I went head first into the water. And my first thought was, I need to get up to air. And so I put my hands up, seeing I could feel the coldness. This is immediate, like I got to feel the cold. I couldn't feel it. I'm like, I've got five seconds before I die. That was my thought. That's the only thought that I had. I've got five seconds before I die. And I struggled for a moment until I finally found my footing and it was stand up. And his uncle Sam screams, Dave, as far as from me to Randall. Dave, I've never heard him. We get in the car and Sam asked me three times. And finally, the third time, he slams on the brakes, which we're driving back to the house. And he looks at me and he says, you're freaking me out. He's 60. I love that he said that. You're freaking me out. You're not the same that you were when we went this morning. What's wrong? And I said, Sam, I'm trying to hold it together. I just came face to face with my mortality. He goes, I get it. Okay, okay. He kept on driving. Now here, this thing, here's the thing. When I talk about my mortality, I'm not sitting here telling a story. I was afraid to die. God, I was not afraid to die. I was completely ready. I was at peace. My lack of peace came because I started all I could think about was my kids and my wife. And y'all couldn't make it without me either. Now, I was thinking about my wife and my kids, like, God, this would be so hard for them. I had to keep on not thinking about them because it was overwhelming. But I had a moment of like, but God, if I had died, I'd been fine. Like, I know you and you love me and I love you and it's a real thing. And God, you, you saved me. So when I come to my place of mortality, I don't sit here and think about my, to be honest with you, I don't sit there and dwell on my hopelessness. I don't focus on my despair. I don't focus on my, why am I even here? No, I'm very clear on those things. Because I've had a resurrection moment with Jesus. Do I have days that are difficult? Of course, we all do. I have moments of, that are difficult? Of course. But I always am able to center back on the moment of resurrection. Jesus, was, the cross is empty. My cross is empty. I've been resurrected to new life. But the question for us in that moment is that when, is for us, have we had the resurrection? Like, have you had that moment where you came face to face with your mortality, this moment of hopelessness, despair, anxiety, your own prisoner of war type moment, this place of brokenness, the place of, of, of no hope? Have you been in that moment and had a resurrection? That's the beauty of it we see is that we love resurrection because we need our own. You've got to recognize Jesus didn't stand again only for himself. That wasn't why he died. And it wasn't why he, res- he was resurrected to say, hey, I did it. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. No, he died and was resurrected so that you could have your own resurrection experience because he knows that each of us live in the brokenness of our own life and cannot in our own strength save ourselves. We can't. Only he can save us. 
the harder we try, the worse we fail. He, he listen, you have to recognize in those moments when you come face to face with your mortality, when you aware, when you become aware of your own sin. Like how many of you don't raise your hand, but if you're just honest, that you're, if you're over 50, maybe even 40, let's just start there. Say, man, there are things from my past that I regret so powerfully it actually hinders me from praying. How many of you do something this week that's hindering you from praying? Do you know that when you reach the place of mortality, when you reach the point of hopelessness, when you reach that point, you become very aware of your despair. Do you know how you got there? What if I told you Jesus led you there? What if I told you this Jesus who always leads you to the base of the cross to look at him dying? How do you know that Jesus leads you to that point? Saying, I know that you murdered that person. I was there. I remember. I remember when you did that. You see that nail mark right there? Yeah, the one on your shoulder? Yes. That's it. I took it all myself. Your guilt and your shame. But you have to give your life to me. Nicodemus in John 3. Remember the John 3.16? For God so loved the world. Remember? For God so loved the world. the only begotten Son that whoever should believe in Him would not perish to have eternal life. Jesus looks and says, I took... Your despair, your hopelessness, your death upon me. I brought you to the foot of the cross to make you aware of your own mortality. As if you are underwater and it's 30 degrees, 28 degrees outside and you can't find your breath. God brings you to that place. And he says, only I can rescue you and save you from it. Cry out to me. Give your life to me. Submit yourself to me in everything and make me the leader and the Lord of your life. And when you do, I will save you and I will give you a new life. And when you come face to face with your mortality from that point forward, you'll just smile. Say, I'm ready to go home, Jesus, if you're ready. Romans chapter 6 says this. Do you not know? This is, this is our baptismal pool this morning to baptize some people. This is the story of baptism. Let me say real quick, baptism equals resurrection. We go down into death. We're raised up to new life. We read it in Romans 6. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. When we sit at the base of the cross in our mortality moments, right? In that moment, we say, God, I will give my life to you. Well, all of a sudden, he says, then my death is your death, right? So do you not know that all those who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? We've gone down. Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death. So that it's just the sin, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory and the power 
power and the majesty of a very living God so we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death of going down, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this with great confidence that our old self, our old life, our old hopelessness, our old death, right? Our old death has been crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin for he who has died has freed us from sin. Hallelujah. It means a thousand praises. We go down into his death. We say, Jesus, I recognize my brokenness. I recognize my hopelessness. I recognize my sin. I am without you, incapable, incapable of saving myself. And I will stand in my mortality moment afraid of the other side. Afraid of the hopelessness and despair of a meaningless life. I will be locked in a cage, locked in a hole, never able to get out. And I will just live my life in the mundane forever. I will But, if I die with you, I commit my life, if I believe in Jesus, that God raised him from the dead, and that belief then leads me to an everyday commitment to his his lordship, meaning he's in charge of everything, and I do as he says, and I speak as he speaks, and I am raised to new life, all of a sudden I recognize this is not slavery. This is freedom. How can it be slavery to walk in? intimately with the God of creation every day who fills me with the fruit of his spirit. Do you know what those are? Let me tell you what they are, my friends. Love, joy. Do you want these things? Ask yourself as I say them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Do you want to exhibit those? Do you want those present in your life? Do you want the gifts that He brings us when we come into relationship with Him? Do you want the gifts of His Holy Spirit? Do you want the gift of prophecy and the gift of healing and the working of miracles? Do you want the gift of ministration and the gift of evangelism? Do you want to be empowered to live every moment of every day of your life? Because without salvation, there's no power. Without salvation, there's no fruit of those things that I named. That is not slavery. That is freedom. And my question is this morning, are you free? Can you, like our friends in the World War II camp, laugh and cry because you were already free? Let's pray. Father, this morning, we come into this reality of of resurrection. We celebrate this morning, God. We celebrate the work that you've done. We celebrate your life. We celebrate your death. We celebrate your resurrection. And Father, as we come into this moment of, of resurrection, of baptism, Lord, I pray for each person this morning who I have been describing and they know it. That you would let them know that you love them right where they are. And that that only you can clean them and give them life. Jesus, this morning, come and have your way with us. For those who don't think that you're real, 
I don't have to prove you to them, God. It's not my job. It's your desire to reveal yourself high and exalted. Do this this morning out of your great love for them, God. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.